So the Fed wants to be patient and give the economy time to heal before they look at lifting rates. That was Jerome Powell on Friday. We'll look at the market reaction to that and make sense of a lot of market moves at the end of last week, which basically saw money move from equities to bonds, a reversal of what we saw for most of the week. What's driving that and will it all turn around again today? After all, it is a new week and a busy one as well. Busy one for numbers and earnings. It's Monday, the 25th of October, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Okay, well, Friday saw quite a bit of action. Equities down, bond yields down. We saw the Nasdaq lose 0.8%. We saw 10-year treasuries down almost seven basis points, almost eight for 30 years. Uh, But up to Friday, bonds have been rising almost up to 1.68% for 10 years, 22 basis points higher than they started the month. Uh, So uh, Friday was a real turnaround. A similar story in the UK where bond yields fell six basis points on Friday after a month on the climb. And the same for equities. Even with Friday's fall, the Nasdaq was still up one. 1.3% over the week. The S&P 500 climbed 1.6% and it too fell a little on Friday. So it was uh, quite a week. It was quite a week for the Kiwi dollar as well last week. It climbed 1.3% over the week. Hardly any of that on Friday. Same with the Aussie dollar. Dead at the end of the week, but 0.6% up across the week. The big loser on Friday was the pound down 0.3%, but that just balanced out gains it made earlier in the week. So Friday was a very different day to the rest of the week. Overall, over the week, the US dollar lost 0.3% on the DXY, half of that on Friday. And Friday also saw a turnaround for commodities as well. Iron ore was heading down, but we saw a 1.7% increase on Friday. Coal was down more than 4% over the week, even with a 0.7% gain on Friday. You know, at least oil is fairly consistent. It's it's always up another 1.5% on Friday on uh, WTI. So, look, that was largely a risk-off mood, I'd say, on Friday. The the currency gaining the most, actually, was the uh, for the G10 was the uh, was in Japan, where we saw the yen up uh, more than 0.4%. Ray Atrell is head of FX Strategy and NAB in Sydney. Uh, so what's going on? Is this, um, I mean, I guess the big number this week is the uh, GDP numbers for the, for the US. So I guess there's a bit of trepidation about that. But also, a lot of this perhaps is the, the reaction to Jerome Powell on Friday. Yeah, morning, Phil. But uh, yes, it's a, a bit of a, a funny old day, I would say, on Friday. So I think it probably makes mm. more sense to sort of look at things over the week, as you have um, eloquently um, summarised in your introduction there. So, you know, certainly it was a week where, you know, bond yields pretty much everywhere have been higher, and no more so, accidentally, in Australia than um, yes. than, in, than in the US, at least, anyway. So although we had this sort of what we'd call a bullish flattening in the US curve on Friday with the front end pretty much unchanged... <coughs> Excuse me, but um, but ten years off what seven basis points, I think does owe something to uh, to Powell's comments, who sort of said in no uncertain terms on Friday that I do think it's uh, time to taper, but I don't think it's time to raise rates. But I don't think anybody thought that the Fed was seriously contemplating raising rates, at least until it's uh, it's got on with the job and probably completed the job of tapering. But, but did, um, he he push, did, put, he pu- did he push the expectation back, though? Because, I mean, a lot of people are thinking middle of next year is when they are going to rate. You know, they'll finish the uh, the tapering and they'll get on with the rate rise. But his point was there's still five million people uh, who had a job before the pandemic who don't have it, have one now. Uh, so, I mean, they, they, they're clearly going to wait till they, they've got that number back to close to where it was. Well, no, certainly they're going to, I mean, we know that they're going to finish the taper unless they're going to go all sort of 
all sort of Bank of England on us and potentially raise rates, <laughs> tighten policy with one hand while they're still, excuse me, easing policy on the other hand. And uh, and you're right, Jay Powell did say that, that Fed tools can't do much for supply constraints, which very much echoes mm. um, Andrew Bailey, doesn't it, from the Bank of England. He said that monetary policy can't put more truck drivers on uh, on England roads, for example. But, um, you know, but he did say that the risks are clearly now to longer and more persistent bottlenecks and thus to higher inflation. And, um, you know, no one should doubt that we will use our tools to guide inflation back down to 2%. So, you know, notwithstanding that it is, as, you know, it's supply constraints by and large that are caused. And as you say, we're still, you know, a long way from uh, from what might be deemed maximum employment, although we'll only know that when we get there. Um, but it is all about, um, you know, so-called second round effects and inflation expectations and, and what that does to wages. And obviously in the US and the UK, you know, wages growth is, is at the moment, is, is wholly inconsistent with inflation being sort of down closer to 2%. So that is really, you know, the Bank of England seems to want to have to put a marker down, doesn't it? That um, we are serious mm. about inflation. And, uh, and at the moment, I don't think that power has actually done anything to push back on market pricing. That um, a first rate rise could come as early, at least as the third quarter, which is fully priced. And um, you know, and I think that the renewed flattening that we're seeing, you know, plays to that view that uh, you know the sooner they start, the um, the earlier and the lower they might finish. So that sort of terminal Fed pricing, you know, is having some impact. But it does all depend, doesn't it, on how quickly supply chains snap back into place. And we we really don't know that, but we do know it is hitting well manufacturing more than services. So PMIs, I mean, it looked like it was a clear picture with the manufacturing down services up well okay so i was going to say almost everywhere but the, the eurozone uh services were also <laughs> also down and australia and the uk they were both up so perhaps not such a clear picture but let, let me say a mixed picture for pmis on friday uh, right. uh, yes i think i think a mixed picture, but some some interesting contrasts i think i mean i think the overall message is i mean obviously you know if we had a dollar for every time the word stagflation has been mentioned including on these podcasts in the last month you mm. and i probably wouldn't need a job soon because we'd all be so cashed up but i think the message from the pmis is that the the stagnation not, half yeah. of the uh, the stagflation term um you know is, is nowhere to be seen because the, the you know in, in absolute terms all of the pmis are still at relatively elevated levels you know high 50s um, you know, pretty much across the board, but a couple of exceptions there is the Eurozone, isn't it? So their services PMI down from 56.4 to 54.7 is quite a big crunch. Um, as you look at the US, and it's gone from 44.9 to 58.2, and the UK surprisingly strong, 58 from 55.4, which was interesting mm. because the retail sales numbers, remember, were weaker than expected, but I was just catching up with the detail on that, and household goods off 9.3% on the month. So so, um, you yeah. know, obviously, people are it's supply driven, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that's clear when you look, when you look at UK retail sales and say, "Hang on, they're down." Why is why is that happening? And then you find that it is it's it's largely white goods. I mean, they can't get them. Well, but also, you know, how much did they buy during the lockdown? So this rotation <laughs> away from saying, "Well, I've got enough stuff, thank you," um, and I might not have any petrol in my car, but I can still stagger to and from the pub. Um, and so, I think that's sort of showing up in more of the service sector. Uh, Components at least, but, in, but going back to Europe and the Eurozone, um, you know, clearly the energy price crunch is, is having an impact. It's, it's taking money out of the pockets of consumers that they might be spending on uh, on services, for example. And um, and so that is showing up there. It's clearly one to watch. But but say overall, I'd say the contrast is that, that you know, the US numbers, now obviously we're more interested usually in those ISM numbers than the market PMIs, but um, they're certainly selling a message that, um, 
you know, there's nothing to fear at the moment as far as a broader slowdown in the US is concerned. So those UK retail numbers, that, that, I mean, the, the, the worrying side of that, I guess, is the fact that this is five months in a row now where those numbers have been going down and everyone would be hoping that, you know, we're, they were coming out the other side. And then the, juxtapose that with Canada. I know the, these are different m- months, aren't they? Obviously, because Canada's numbers on Friday were for August. The UK ones are for September. But Canada's numbers were 2.1% up, uh, more if you take cars out of it. So, again, could that be because they are on the North American continent, and so perhaps supply chain problems aren't quite so great for them? Um, Good question, Phil. Um, I'm not across the Canadian details to know whether that's true, but superficially, at least, it it does sound plausible, at least. Um, And obviously, we know that, um, you know, Canada is... uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a highly vaccinated population. There's a, there's a fair bit of mobility there. And uh, as you say, it may not be uh, quite as uh, stricken by some of these uh, these supply chain issues as elsewhere, all of which sort of goes to, you know, to, to segue to the Bank of Canada this week, which will almost certainly signal that it's uh, it's seen enough to further taper down its uh, its weekly bond purchases, we think, from from the current $2 billion a week to $1 billion. And it's ECB as well this week, I think, isn't it? What are, what are they going to do? Well, they're not going to change policy. I think we can we can say that with, uh, with with supreme confidence, but I think the messaging around uh, inflation is going to be interesting, isn't it? Obviously, last week we had the resignation of uh, the Bundesbank president Jens Wiedmann, and uh, with mm. uh, uh, briefings to uh, to certain media suggesting that uh, you know he's had enough of having to uh, to unsuccessfully fight the cause of. Uh, of uh, or the inflation corner, if you like, or the hawkish corner there, but um, you know, so the messaging I think around inflation is going to be uh, is going to be of some interest. But I've no doubt that uh, Christine Lagarde, when she uh, gives the post meeting press conference, is going to sound as, as dovish as possible, and uh, you know, probably you know a little bit like the RBA governor down here, um, saying that look, the starting points for um, you know where we're at on, on on output, employment, and inflation, etc., are very different from the situation in other parts of the world, and therefore. There's still nothing to see here as far as uh, thinking about taking a foot off the gas pedal as far as uh, monetary policy policy settings are concerned. So Aussie CPI for Q3 is uh, perhaps the the main statistic locally for us this week. Well, it certainly is, isn't it? I wonder if it's going to tell us much because it's a bit – if we look at the pattern everywhere, it's been you come out of lockdown, then inflation starts to pick up. It's obviously a bit soon for that to happen. Well, that's the the view. And then looking at the consensus numbers, I mean, we're at 0.4 on the quarter, which would put the headline – number up to 2.9 and I think the market's a, a consensus is about a tenth higher so we might see headline inflation printing at three percent which of course is the uh, right at the top of the RBA's so two to three percent band more interesting I think will be the I'm um, sorry that's the, the, the trimmed mean um, mm-hmm. um, the trimmed mean one I think is sorry it's going to be 1.7 year on year the headline number sorry could be up to uh, high as three percent and then there are a few sort of arcane things there about construction costs because the impact of the home builder subsidy was to, to depress the price of, uh, of, of of housing to the consumer, effectively, the way it works. So we do acknowledge there's some upside risks there. But um, obviously, we had the big upside surprise in the New Zealand uh, numbers um, last week. But the read-through yep. from New Zealand to Australia has been pretty non-existent, I have to say, in recent years. So, um, you know, so expect the message to be, yes, we are seeing a little bit of Increasing price pressures, but um, the core, if the core is still going to be effectively below the top of the top of the band, then um, you know the RBA will, will, will be sticking to its knitting, saying that uh, way too soon to think about rate but prices, if, and then we still think if people start spending, if people are out and about, and we get the same supply chain difficulties that the rest of the world has been experiencing. I mean, could those numbers go up? I mean, I know, I know the RBA, you know, the the RBA is saying they're not going to lift rates. 
uh, that the NAB story is very much that, you know, it's going to be mm-hmm. 2024 before that happens. But we are seeing bond yields rising and there is the danger, isn't there, of inflation picking up? No, so absolutely. Is that, telling, yeah. is that telling a different story yeah. to, to what the RBA and NAB is saying? Well, the market is not having a bar of, uh, you know, dare I say, you know, NAB's own forecast as well as the RBA's uh, mantra, at least. And obviously the RBA did come in and, and made a statement yes, on, on Friday when it did buy those um, April 2022, 2024 bonds, just when it looked as though they were, um, you know, their commitment to the yield curve control target was uh, was was starting to waver. So they're still of that view. But um, yes, you know, uh, obviously, if inflation does start to to rise more quickly, then um, you know the current projections as we go through the year, then, then that view will change, and, and the market's still thinking that is that is more likely than not. Hence, it's still got you know as many you know as much tightening in the Australian rates curve as it has to the Fed curve. Now, you know whether or not twenty twenty four is the right call or not, we're still pretty convicted that 2022 is not um you know so at some point we do expect that um you know that the rates market in new zealand will have to uh, will have to reprice to some extent but um but say markets obviously on guard for um you know the sort of upside inflation surprises that have occurred elsewhere for the you know largely for those supply chain reasons you mentioned uh, will show up here um you know sooner if not later and evergrande isn't going to pull the chinese economy down it seems uh, they somehow managed to make their coupon payments at the end of last week and uh, they're reading the papers over the weekend. They are starting to work again on, on projects in southern China. Mm. So quite what's going, going on behind the scenes there. <laughs> you know, one doesn't <laughs> know, but uh, such is the, the opacity of it. But we do know that from a policy point of view that, um, you know, China is, is, is in, in, insisting that, um, you know, certainly the, you know, the consumers and households are not going to be, you know, massively disadvantaged by this and that building programs have to uh, be completed and those sort of bought houses, you know, off the plan and paid for them are going to have to are going to have to be delivered but um yeah we were all a bit surprised i don't know quite where they yeah. uh, they, they 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 conjured that was it 83 and a half million us dollars to avoid a formal default on uh, on a bond that remember they missed the payment on the 23rd so um yeah it didn't have a, a dramatic impact i mean evergrand shares you know started trading again last week and, and were down heavily so um you know this doesn't tell us that um you know that it's, this this problem is going away anytime soon and you know for me looking at uh, going back to the week Looking at um, commodity prices, you know, aluminium off ten percent, zinc off nine, copper off five percent. Um, you know, the, the the property sector in China is clearly in for some significant headwinds for a long time to come. Um, you know, and given the uh, you know the weight of, of commodity demand in China that is linked directly to the property sector, to me, it's no surprise that um, you know we're starting to see some of those pressures coming through in key commodity markets. It's a big week for earnings, of course. Uh, lots of big names like uh, General Electric, Coca. Cola, Boeing, Caterpillar, uh, General Motors, Alphabet tomorrow, and Facebook uh, after uh, the, after the US close Monday time. So uh, we'll see what that brings to us. Labor Day in New Zealand, so not much going on there. And uh, Gemini phone, IFO numbers today. Uh, so a bit going on this week. That's for, and then the central banks we talked about. So a lot going on this week. We'll uh, we'll we'll tackle it all on the morning call, and uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Thanks, Ray. Will do. Thanks, Phil. And it's Tapa Strickland on the call tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening.